G'day, g'day, and welcome back to another episode of A Lot to Talk About. It is your boy, the captain of the ship, the man in charge, Bradley J. Driver. But of course, you can call me Brad. And pumped to be here for another episode. We're getting close to that one double zero, the Century Club. Um, and it's really exciting. It would have actually almost been fitting to get this guy on for number 100. But, um, you know, the tail of the tape doesn't always go as planned. Um, and I guess you'll get what I mean by that in the coming minutes, but I'm going to give him an intro, an intro he very well deserves. He is a fellow Aussie who's at the moment living over in Venice, California. He has a very inspiring story, a story that began far before, I guess, this journey did, but this journey truly began um, with a bit of tragedy, the loss of a mate. And the loss of someone in your life often makes you think and consider the path that you're on and the life that you've been living. And for this man, it it made him realize it wasn't the life he exactly wanted to tell stories of at the time it has come to an end. And he changed his direction. Um, He found a new goal and a new purpose in life. And that's what we're here to talk about today. So ladies and gentlemen, from your home, your car, or wherever you are, give a very warm welcome to one, the only Sebastian Terry. How are you, brother? Oh, mate, I'm good. What an introduction. Thanks. Mate, I'm the ship. Wow. I love it. Mate, it's it's a self-proclaimed nickname. I'm calling myself the captain. I actually changed the name on my Instagram to the captain and ah. it's caught on with about two or three people. Um, but we'll see. We'll okay. see. I think persistence is the key, right? Thanks for having me today, buddy. Bro, it's an absolute pleasure. Like I said, when we chatted just before hitting record, it's probably about 12 months ago now that you come across my Instagram feed and I love your story. And I'm always looking for stories like this that are inspiring and I guess shift people's perspective on life and the life that we should be really um, pursuing and, and hoping to live. And your story really speaks to that. It speaks to tragedy and loss and the way that that shifts your perspective. But I guess before we dive into all of that, it'd be great to get, I guess, a little bit of who Seb is and, and where life started for you. Uh, how'd you mean when I was a kid? Yeah. Like where'd you grow up? You know, where, oh, what was the, the course of school study work? I love it. Uh, all right. So born in Sydney, uh, Hornsby, uh, 1981, uh, stayed there for two years. Then as a family, we moved to Norway because my dad was working as a, as a draftsman. So he worked on oil platforms. Uh, and then we stayed there for a couple of years and I began to speak Norwegian as a kid. And wow. my dad hated that. So we moved to England for 10 years uh, until I was 14. And then we went back to Australia. Um, so I kind of moved back to Australia when I, I, I didn't know anyone. I didn't know, you know, anything. I, I, me and my sister were kids. Obviously, she's younger than me. So it was kind of a bit of a, like an, an, an upheaval of sorts. And um, yeah, and then I, you know, I was in Australia. I, I feel Australian, you know, I was born there and have a passport. I actually have three passports, funnily enough. Um, you but yeah, uh, and then I was just there really until I was 22. And then I started backpacking as many of us do in Australia. And I don't know, currently in, in LA, that's, I don't know, that's my physical history. That's where I've been. It's exciting. It's funny. Cause you, you almost look quite, you know, Norwegian. You look like from that part of the world, you got, you got the blonde hair going at the moment. You, you know go. what I mean? So those yep. vibes, but for you, there was obviously a turning point in that story, right? A, a moment of reflection after losing a mate. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, I, well, yeah, I lost a, a mate called Chris. Um, he was 24, I was 25. At that point, I, you know, finished school, gone to university, got a degree, felt pretty underwhelmed by it all. I, I, I then just decided to start traveling 
backpacking, um, drifting really. Uh, and then I was in Canada, yeah, and I heard overnight that um, I, the phone rang and, and it was a friend in, in Sydney called Bortho. And my buddy Bortho delivered the news to me that Chris had died and that it had obviously affected a lot of people immediately, including myself. And it made me reflect on Chris's life. And, and then, of course, my own. I think that's what, you know, death or the, these sort of darker moments in our lives make us do, you know, whether it's a loss of life, whether it's an illness, whether, you know, that you've been diagnosed with, whether it's a loss of a job or coming out of a relationship or any number of things. And I just kind of thought about my life and I just thought, geez, am I happy? Like, if I died today, would I, would I be happy? I think that Chris, although it was a life really, like, uh, really well lived, it was, it was far too short. And, and I should probably say that the other way around. It was a life that was that was short lived, but really well lived. And if I haven't confused you, what I mean by that is, I don't think he would change a thing if given another chance. I, mm. I think he did pretty pretty well. Uh, he was values driven. You know, he did all the things that were important to him. And and I turned that question on myself in the middle of the night in Canada, and I thought, geez, I I don't even know who I am actually. I I feel really lost. In fact, I'm really unhappy. And it was the first time I realised that. So I got a piece of paper and a pen and just started writing down things that I thought would make me happy. And in that moment, I just realized that the most important thing for me, everyone's different perhaps, but for me, I just wanted to be happy. That was a priority. And so with this list of a hundred things in front of me, hundred goals, dreams, thoughts, ideas, I thought, well, it's really easy. I'm just going to do that. So I shortly after that moment sort of dropped everything in my life to pursue that list. And, you know, here I am years on still doing it done 70 odd things and uh you know the, the beautiful part of the story of course that it's not about me anymore we've developed a big global community of people and 100 things has gone on to impact a lot of people in very positive ways uh, it's even saved lives so you know, i couldn't be more proud of what it's become i think you should be incredibly proud and i think almost very grateful for your wisdom in that moment right to turn tragedy into a point of reflection and, and a way to sit back and look at your life and make sure that <laughs> you know, when yours comes to an end, because eventually that, you know, that's one certainty of life. We all, we all die at some point in time. And we just hope that when we sit there in the end, we get to reflect on a life really well lived with a smile on our face. And, you know, I think that, you know, whether you believe in afterlife or not, we all have that moment uh, where, you know, well, well, in fact, not all of us do, but, you know, some of us uh, are lucky enough to have a moment of consideration at the end of our life. And I think in that moment, probably you realize, oh my God, there's nothing else. That's yeah. it. You know, again, forgetting maybe an afterlife, or whatever, but like for this life, that's it. And it's like, uh, it's just a very real realization. And imagine being in that position and looking back and going, oh, I wish I'd done that all different. I wish I'd spoken to my friend. In fact, there's a, there's a book called Regrets of the Dying by a palliative care nurse called Bronnie Ware. I don't know if you've heard of that or heard i've of heard of it but i haven't read it yeah i well i actually haven't read it either but um it it's a it's a, a nurse who looks after people who are end of life and she interviewed them all and came up with five top regrets of the dying and so these regrets included living a life that others expected of them uh not what they wanted to do uh working too much not allowing themselves to be happy um i'm gonna forget one here but one is uh, they wish they'd connected with friends more and then there's one more and I can't quite remember what it is, but anyway, you know, I guess the idea is you want to live a life, you get to that final moment and you look back and you think, I wouldn't have changed a thing, you know, even though it's my last breath, it's, uh, it's the last of many good ones. 
Well, following on from what you said there, it's, it's, it's funny we speak about this and that this conversation has come at this time in my life because I've been like over the course of lockdown in Australia, I was like, I want to sort of challenge myself to write a book. Someone had posed a question to me and asked about the earlier years of my life and where my mindset was formed as a child and, and how I'm able to tackle the issues with my chronic health. And as I sat and I wrote this book, I wrote about a gentleman that I met along the way. And I was probably 18 years of age when I met a guy named Ernie in hospital, Wollongong hospital. And I was in because I had some issues with my lungs. My lungs had been bleeding and I'd met Ernie who my mum had actually sold him a car and Ernie was in there because a routine procedure went really wrong and actually poisoned him. And so because of that, he'd formed cancer and um, Ernie was probably in his mid sixties, if I recall. And, you know, he shared the shared a room just a few down from mine and every lunchtime he'd come around after I'd finished my food and we'd have a cup of tea and have a yarn. And Ernie was actually a really interesting man. So he worked at, he worked at, I think it was Long Bay Jail. Um, so he was like the head warden. So he, you know, had guys like Ivan Malat um, and some really serious um, prisoners in his prison there. And we spoke every day and it was sort of at the end of that week when I left the hospital and Ernie passed a few months later, it made me think at his funeral. Every time we spoke, we never spoke of money. We never spoke of um, you know, professional endeavors or the push of professional endeavors. We spoke about rather the stories that put smiles on our face or, or made us really think about the times that our heart raced throughout our lives. And we spoke about our family and the people we loved. And he spoke about his, you know, his ex-wife and his children. And it, you know, really it lends to the fact that in the end, all we have is the people we love and the stories we can tell. And for me, it's been a huge realization in the last few years that that should be the focus of my life. And I think it should be the focus or at least a a large focus of of everyone's lives, Yeah, because that's what gives it meaning. That's what gives it purpose. So I I have to go back to when you're sitting in this um, hotel or hostel, I think you said in, in Canada and writing down this list was the first thing that come to your mind. I'm going to write a list of a hundred things, or did you just start writing? No, um, I, so I was in, I was actually at a friend's place in Canada and the first thing that I thought was, well, what's something that will make me happy? And I, and I kind of thought about all those dreams that I'd never had done, you know, cause I wasn't encouraged to. Uh, so the first thing was actually running of the bulls, which in retrospect years on, I wouldn't probably do that again. I didn't realize the bulls all get killed at the end. Anyway, forgetting that minor point. Um, I just started writing. And so it was just like a very free flowing, um, yeah, free flowing process of just things jumping onto this page. And it was the more I thought about it, the more excited I became and the more kind of creative I got. And then I'd speak to people about their, you know, hey, have you got a list? I've been writing a list. And they would tell me something. I'd be like, that's amazing. I'm going to put that on my list too. So no, it wasn't meant to be 100. It just kind of ended up being, it might've been 80 or 90 things or something like that. And I thought, well, let's make it around hundred. Why not? So it wasn't, yeah. Yeah, well, there wasn't any design behind it. And just quickly, by the way, the fifth regret of the dying it, that I forgot was uh, they wish they'd had the courage to express their feelings. Um, just ex- expression. Yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to get that out there. Also, I think that's a huge one. Um, we'll talk about that probably later in the show. I think as we sure. naturally um, digress off the back of these incredible hundred things. And I guess, for me, what was a really special moment or seemed like a really pivotal moment in you going on this journey was 
you being on the Today Show in Australia. And mm. I remember seeing some footage of this um, when I was doing some research on YouTube, probably even like six months ago, 12 months ago when we first connected. Yeah. And it was Carl Stefanovic and Lisa, who I think helped you achieve one of those really big goals on the list. Which one was it? I, d- I can't remember. Was it number 26? I think I can almost remember. It was Help a Stranger. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, well, yeah, first of all, the media in Australia has been really lovely to me over the years. Um, it's funny, isn't it? Like, I, all I'm doing is trying to pursue my goals and it becomes a story. Uh, who'd have thought? Like, why? If anything, it's actually probably a bit of a sadder reflection on what's considered normal because that's considered not normal. Like, we should all be out there following our dreams. Um, but with that said, obviously always grateful for that stuff. And, you know, they've helped with awareness and charity fundraising I've been doing over the years, et cetera. But, yeah, it was actually on a show, the one that you're talking about, it was actually on a show called The Circle, and okay. uh, which has been taken off air now. But there was uh, four women on there, all really, really loved it. A lady called Denise, Chrissy Swan, uh, Yumi and oh gosh I can't remember she's so lovely I feel bad now anyway she was just as lovely as the others and they said what's on your list what can we help you with and I said well I want to help a stranger yes yeah, so if anyone watching um, who needs help with something let me know and of course I got quite a few offers um, or what would you call it um, you know opportunities people. yeah and the one I ended up sort of choosing just sort of made the most sense for whatever reason was a guy in Melbourne called Mark and he wanted me to shave his head and I thought I can do that. So I ended up shaving Mark's head. It was actually two people I helped from that. One was a girl who was being bullied at high school and she wanted me to, her mum wanted me to go and talk to her school about life and goals and not bullying. And I did that. But Mark, yeah, wanted me to shave his head. And I, I went and shaved Mark's head and I found out that Mark was a quadriplegic. He was not always that way. He was able-bodied. Um, until his mid-20s and he was backpacking through Greece and got bitten by a tick and he contracted Lyme's disease and because of that a very severe form of Lyme's disease he, he lost the ability to move uh, and speak and need to ventilate it to sleep at night and he's a 24-hour care team I mean a lot of really gnarly stuff so, you know pretty tragic and uh, as, as I shaved his head I thought I can do more than this and I asked him if there was anything else on his list and he actually had a list of 150 things so there was plenty more and his carer said that he'd always wanted to complete a half marathon. And, uh, and I said, well, okay, how can I help do that? And Mark looked at me and asked me to push him. He said, push me. And it was the first two words I understood him say. And, uh, and I just said, yes, of course. So without putting a thought into it, I just knew immediately that I wanted to do it. And I signed us up for the Melbourne half marathon, went home to Manly in Sydney where I was living back then and got a shopping cart from Coles and started running up and down the beach with a shopping cart for a couple of months and then went down to Melbourne and um, took part in this half marathon with Mark, which was unbelievable. And, and yeah, sort of changed the trajectory of a hundred things up until that point, it had been me doing things on my list for self gratification, if you will. And this was just helping somebody. I'd never experienced that before. And I felt incredible. And, uh, and Mark, of course, got to achieve something from his list as well. And that sort of led to this point in 100 Things where I, I just started helping people instead of doing things on my list. Um, and, and that's been a wonderful journey. That, man, that's so interesting. And it really, it leans into a question that I was really curious to ask you. And I read a little bit of a book at the beginning of this year by a guy named Jay Shetty, who you may be familiar with. And Jay speaks mm-hmm. about, um, he spent time as a monk 
And he speaks about how basically as a monk, 50% of your day is in service of yourself. So things like meditation and breathing and walking and really being spiritual and, and working on your mental health and your focus. But then 50% of the, the day, the remaining 50% is spent on the service of others. So it might be building huts in the community, helping people with things. And he speaks about this beautiful balance where there is so much you get from being in service of others. And a question I really had for you was, um, firstly, how much of your list had you sort of ticked off percentage wise, roughly before helping Mark? Mm. And then obviously that being a pivotal, pivotal moment in the journey, reflecting back, were you doing things for you? Was that making you happy? Was it filling the void that you once felt? Or was it really not until you actually started to sort of steer at that in the direction of service of others that you started to feel that? Yeah, it's such a good question. I, I don't know. I can't remember exactly how many things I've done for my list, but just to fall in line with, with Jay's uh, statistics, I would say 50%. Why not? I don't know though. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I, um, I, what I see, so we, we run a lot of workshops, you know, online courses and stuff around list building and you know the list is the tip of the iceberg it's about trying to find meaning in the things that we do in life and hopefully we evolve as individuals and then as a collective whether it's a friendship circle or family a business a community um and then i think you connect with other people but the, the first step for me is definitely connecting with yourself and i think you do that by doing things for yourself we live in a society where that's deemed as selfish a lot of the time and i i, I think that's a shame um, I think being selfish is crucial. Uh, I think being selfish, in fact, leads to being selfless. Uh, you know, there's that whole, you know, there's a million sort of cliche metaphors about it, but you can't fill up someone else's cup unless yours is full. And, and that's what it is. So what, what we see in these workshops that we do is that a lot of people are either one or the other. They're either, either only selfish or only selfless, and both are unhealthy. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's great to say that you help everyone else and you're doing everything for everyone else, but you that, yes, it fills you up to a degree, but you need to be on purpose yourself. You need to, there are things that we need to be doing by ourselves. So I think a list, a healthy list is a combination of all the things. Um, it, again, in this, in our course, we would say that um, we, we use this, I kind of developed this thing that we call a wheel of life. If you imagine a bicycle wheel uh, and then you have the tire, of course, around the outside and the hub in the middle, it's the spokes that give that that wheel um, structure and allow it to roll and be efficient and effective. So if you then consider that bike wheel for a moment to be a representation of your life, you know, you have all the external factors, which are the tire, which is the tire essentially. And the hub is kind of like the internal things, maybe your experience previous, but the spokes are what give it structure. And if you look at the spokes as potentially your values or, you know, aspects of your life, which are just crucial to you, not specific goals, but just elements, that's where your list should come from. And, you know, of course we find, having done this for a while now, that a lot of the spokes are similar, but, you know, they are different too, but like family is on there, connection is on there, self-development, um, career, uh, financial security, adventure, humour, it goes on and on and on, a health, obviously. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the impact and service is usually on there too. So I, I think it's, it goes to show that, you know, you can't just say you need to be selfish or you need to just work on yourself. You can't just say you can only help other people. It's a combination. So, you know, me skydiving is just as important to me as, you know, taking Mark for a run or whatever. I think they're both important. Um, I hear from a lot of mums you know, who uh, they've spent their lives, you know, and dads, but more so mums, dedicated to like 
you know, helping their children grow up. And when they, when the children fly, finally leave home, um, the general sentiment that I hear of via email is right. I'm suddenly by myself again. I don't have to look after my kid as, as I was for the last 18 years. Who am I? I've got no idea. And that's a very unhealthy place to be. It's great to, of course, bring up a child and put all your love and attention into them, but you've got to show up for yourself. Um, otherwise, you end up being a little empty. And also, you know, I think it's interesting to say that uh, your kids want to look up to someone. The role model should be someone who's out there achieving their goals and dreams. So, you know, that's, that's a great role model to have. So it's not selfish. It's really important. I, mate, I couldn't agree with that more. It's a conversation that I've had to have with the two most dedicated and selfless human beings on the planet being my parents that, you know, so appreciative. My, without my parents, I, I probably wouldn't be alive or I'd be very unhealthy right now because they sacrificed a lot for my chronic illness to, to be maintained really well and for me to be in great health today and to do all the things that I do. So I'm very, like, beyond th- thankful for them. They're the most amazing people in the world. But there comes a time where it's like, you've got to forget about me and and really get the most out of your life because you hate to see, you know, I've seen too many things um, in hospital walls where lives are, are ended short and they're very short lived. And I can imagine there's a lot of regret there, even mm. if you are the most selfless human being on the planet. And so I say to my parents all the time, go and live your life, experience life, because that's what this is about. I'm really curious as to in the process of building that wheel and working out what the spokes are, where do you feel? And, and I, you know, as we spoke about, it is a very um, selfish journey, so it's different for everyone, but where do people tend to go wrong with building that wheel in their own lives? Have you seen like a trend of, of people maybe thinking that something is more important than others um, or not understanding the foundation and the structure of that? Well, I th- I, yes. I mean, another great question. I feel like the main issue is that people don't give themselves permission to consider it in the first place. Because again, you know, there's this blueprint that isn't necessarily bad, but you know, we go to school, further education, get a job, a series of jobs, collect money, get a career, buy a house, have a family, la da da. Nothing wrong with that, but it doesn't really like. I, I personally, I never had. When I went to my career advisor at the end of high school and said, "I'm a bit lost. What do I do?" and he went, "Get a degree." He didn't ask me. Well, what are you into? What makes you smile? Are you passionate about anything? You know, um, and so I, that, that never really happened. I, I was never given, I always waited for permission from other people. You know, we, we all have families and, and some of, the, you know, everyone's family is different, of course, but I think there are pressures and generational trends which are imparted upon us by our parents, even though they mean the best for us. They, you know, they only know what they know. Um, not to say, not to belittle them at all, but we, I know I got my, de- I, one main reason for my degree was to try and make my parents happy. Turned out they didn't really care. So I, there's a lot of pressure there's a, and, and we tend to do what we're told. And so I think back to your question, um, when it comes to the wheel, what do people miss out? Well, I think it's the very first step. Step one, we have eight steps to creating and activating your, your, your ultimate list, right? Step one is permission. Allow yourself to think about yourself. That is it. And you can all do it. Everyone can do it. It's a a split second decision. That's the thing that people miss. And then when you do do that, I I speak to a ton of, you know, really successful people, you know, who do far far more incredible things than, you know, me, you know, my list items. Um, And I ask each one of them, like, how, how are you able to do what you're able to do? Why were you able to do that? And they, they all say a variation of, I just gave myself permission. 
And when you do that, you start, you allow yourself to kind of acknowledge your values, to identify your principles, to understand what really lights you up on the inside. And in that process, you start to think and start to come up with goals, like things that are important here. And that's kind of the, the creation of this, of, you know, the, the list. We, we would say step two is reflection. I think it's really important to reflect on where you've been. No, you can't change it, of course, but it's really important to know, like, how have you been behaving and what's got you to where you are now? You can't change it, but if you understand your patterns, you can then sort of forecast, well, if I keep going in this direction, where will I be? And if you're stoked with that, great, keep going. But if you think, oh, I'd like to change that one degree or 180 degrees, it's up to you. And, you know, and what is that change? That, that's goal setting. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like the question isn't what are people missing in their spokes? The question more so is why are people not even sitting down to consider it? Because uh, you should, you know, you should. We, we all have something special. We all have something that's, you know, unique or there's, there's ways for us to contribute and just feel good. You know, I think ultimately you feel good by being yourself. But if you only listen to what other people around you suggest you should do, you never get that moment to think about yourself and try and figure out who you are. And, and, and ultimately, you know, that's what I believe a list is. You know, it's just the tip of the iceberg. Um, you know, it doesn't really matter how many things I've done or what I've done. It's just each thing I've done has allowed me to experience life and, and myself in a different way. And I'm forever, I hope, getting closer to understanding who I actually am. Oh, mate, I think that's an incredible answer because you actually answered another one of the questions that had popped into my mind at the beginning of this podcast, which was, you know, being still in your early 20s and sitting down to create this list and steering off the, the normal. And, you know, we put normal in quotes there um, because like we said, why is it normal and why is it so normal just to follow this path? And I thought, I wonder how you felt in that moment, whether there was a little bit of anxiety or fear around confronting your parents and telling them of your plans and your ideas to, to go and tackle this list. Because I know when I speak to people and, you know, a good bunch of people have asked me, because I walked away from a, a relatively good and secure job just yep. as I started to get good at it and started to earn some money to pursue this and to, to really live out my dream. And a lot of people ask me, you know, what do your parents think? How do you have mm. that conversation with your parents? Are they worried? And I'm really blessed that mine were amazing about it and understood why I wanted to do this. But I think for most people, it's, it's the hardest hurdle. And I think the longer you wait, and you may, you know, correct me if you think I'm wrong here, but I think the longer you wait, the harder it becomes to give yourself permission because, you know, then love comes into the equation. You've got a, you know, significant other, and then, you know, they've yeah. got to be a part of that journey then too. Or maybe you've got kids or you've got a mortgage. I think the earlier you can grant yourself that permission to go and pursue life and to do what's really purpose-driven for you, it, it allows you then to open up and to flow so much freer. I agree entirely. Yeah. I mean, the, I, I think the last word you said then being freer, you know, you, you ask people to define, we ask people to define what happiness is to them. And one of the first words that come up is, is feeling free. And how can you feel free if you're not, you know, you're not, uh, voicing your your truth if, if it were you know um so i mean look ideally getting support from your loved ones and people who are just innately in your life is crucial um but if that's not the case forget about it as in forget about them no and not i don't mean an aggressive uh deleting numbers i'm not speaking to you again mum and dad it's not that but you've got to have the conviction you know and mm. uh I think my, but my dad was kind of supportive um when i left my mum wasn't 
they've both come around fully and you know and that's all nice and stuff but my best mate i sat down with him days before flying out just a few days before flying out to start this on my birthday my 28th birthday 2009 and um he said i think you're making a mistake you know you're an idiot what are you doing you're 28 it's not what people do people settle down and you know whatever they do and uh, but I just knew I just wasn't happy. I, I for me I felt quite lucky. I'd given myself permission to truly think about where I was going in life. And as soon as I said and, and realized, oh, I just want to be happy. That is the only thing. Um, and I had this list. It was you know I bought a ticket overseas and and that was it. So I I you know I didn't care if anyone supported me or not. I didn't have a lot of support. Um, it didn't worry me. And like that, I think that's you know that's a big step for some people. Um, this idea of because we're you know I'm a bit of a people pleaser and I think a lot of people are and you also want to be loved right you want to be loved you want to have your support network and to kind of disrupt your life in a way where suddenly no one really supports what you're doing um you know you could sort of go back into the shell and go okay but what who does that help um and anyone I've ever met who's made that change including you I'm sure would not regret it right you know Uh, is that true for you 100 it was the greatest decision I made in my life. And what I found was, you know, before making the decision, I was like you, a real people pleaser, a real yes man. I found it really hard to say no without feeling like I was letting people down. Felt yeah. like I always had to be almost like I was almost the warrior for everyone. Like if someone had an idea or something they wanted to achieve, I almost had to give up on everything I wanted or everything I thought of my future being to yeah. help them achieve it. And ultimately it led to real frustration where I got to a point at the end of my, like I was in real estate, I got to the point at the last like 12 to six months of that, I was, I was not myself. I was so angry and frustrated all the time. And I was, you know, like take, not incredibly, but I was, ta- I found myself taking it out and taking that anger and frustration out on the people around me. Like I was just short and a little brash and I'm like, this isn't me. And I'm just so unhappy doing this. And I just didn't want to get out of bed and go to work in the morning. And for me, making the decision, like I sat in front of my boss and like I shed tears when I told him that I'm leaving because for me, it felt like just the greatest weight was lifted off my shoulders. I was like, oh my God, this is the first time in years that I've actually done something for myself. Yeah. And then in sharing that and then going on and pursuing this, what I found is so many great things have come into my life. There is, you know, I created a little charity initiative last year, which I I never would have done if I hadn't left because I would have said I didn't have the time or, you know, I didn't have the mental capacity to take it all on. So, you know, for me, I I do not regret it for a single second. It was one of the greatest decisions I've ever made in my life. Yeah, for sure. No, I'm so happy to hear that. And, And it's true. It's true for anyone you speak to who's done something, they truly are passionate about and are truly curious about. And, you know, and if you hadn't have done that, if I hadn't have done what I did, um, I th- that's a regret, right? There's people who go, I wish I had not done the thing. Number one regret in Bronnie Ware's book, I wish I had done things uh, true to myself, not what others expected of me. That, that, that is that in a nutshell. And there's two things I want to add to that. One is if you don't have a support network, it might seem quite daunting, um, you know, to like take a leap based on just what you think or what you believe. But there are people out there and the onus is on you to go and find them. There are people out there to support everything. And, you know, as you found support and, you know, in, in starting a charity initiative or whatnot, you know, I found support at every single step of the way by complete strangers. And you know, now there's a big community behind it, um, which is great. But I think also like just something to, to note is 
there's a difference and it's very slight between I think someone who's very passionate and curious about what's important to them and they, and they have an idea or at least they, they're very committed to an idea of something that will better them as a person. I'm all for that. Um, there's also the subtle difference is that then there are people who I think just want to avoid and shirk off responsibility and go, mm. well, I'd rather just be more of a rebel. And you know, like I, I, I'm not wise enough to sort of talk about that too much, but I would suggest that there is a difference. And if you're doing it for the former reason, you think there's something better, you have an idea of what it is, it's something that you're passionate about and that you think it's something to do with your purpose, let's hope, go for it. But if it's just, I don't want to go to university or I don't want to work because I don't want to, therefore I'm just going to, you know, go and uh, smoke. <laughs> you know, I, d- I, d- I don't think that's, you know, obviously that's not healthy. So there's just, you know, I think there's some serious candid internal conversation to have for people who are considering what they're doing i think it's the why as always why are you doing what you're doing and i think you you spoke about it before anyways like it's this whole decision and this the whole search for freedom is you being true to yourself right so i think yeah. you know if if you are the latter you sit there and like if you're being true with yourself you're going to have to face that at some point regardless so i feel like not many people get away with that for long like that starts to eat away at them. Yeah, well, it's quite confronting, you know, like it is. I, I get it. It's confronting to like look at yourself in the mirror and actually have a proper look, uh, you know, literally or kind of metaphorically. Like it, it is. Uh, and but that that's what you that's what we need to do. Like in the same way, like if you take the car to I, I'm for some reason I keep coming up with analogy. I don't know why, but like if you took your car to the mechanic. You know, the mechanic looks at it, it finds out what needs fixing, and it, and he or she fixes it. Um, then the car runs better. As people, we don't like to actually open up the hood and go, right, where am I a little bit? Where, where am I in need of fixing? For some reason, we just rather keep that bonnet or hood down and, uh, and keep driving. And of course, at some point, the car's going to start smoking and break down. So I, you know, I, I think that idea of looking at yourself in the mirror, having a good look, what am I doing well? What am I not doing well? That's the reflection piece of our course. And then from that, understand what needs to get fixed. And then the, the beauty is you can fix stuff. It's never too late. There are people in our community who are 60, 70, 80 years old coming up with lists. Um, it's never too late to smile. It's never too late to make a decision. And the beauty of life is that we have the choice to do that. You choose to change. You choose not to. You choose to walk, to walk towards happiness. You choose not to. You choose to be, I think, successful. I think you choose not to be. And, uh, yeah, we're entirely accountable for what we do. And I think if you, if you realize that, it's very empowering, even if you feel there's a lot to change, like I did when I was 25, 24, 25. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's empowering with the right mindset. It's also very confronting, for, but the, it's, it's actually beautiful that we get to choose. It's incredible to hear that there's so many people from all walks of life stepping in to make that decision for themselves. I'm curious to hear a little bit about this list. So let's talk about maybe your top two or three um, things that you've ticked off this list and, and those moments and those feelings. Well, I mean, it's hard to sort of... Um, it's hard to sort of separate them. I mean, there are a few that are quite known because uh, they're very abstract. Um, marrying a stranger, delivering a baby, walking across France, living on a deserted island for a week, things like that, which are just sort of attention grabbing, but they're not necessarily the best. I mean, I don't know. They're, they're, whichever ones I'm sort of working on. I, I visited an inmate on death row. I, I wrote a book. I, you know, I did a triathlon. I'm learning French now. I'm trying to learn a classical piano piece. I don't know how to play piano. I'm learning it off YouTube. Like each and every one of these things 
gets me out of my comfort zone where I think is a really good place for people to go because you, you realize where your edges are and you can tease those a little further and you, you realize how capable you are. But I, I think it's about just having like a, a sense of purpose, right? Like I could sit on my, I've got this little keyboard behind me and I could sit on there for two hours trying to learn off YouTube, like the, you know, the, like a guitar hero thing, the lights yeah, come down yeah. and light up the keys and I try and just get my fingers to perform and, and uh, I can be there for two hours and learn three seconds of that song. I'm, I'm two minutes into it at the moment. It's taken me seven months. And when I'm doing it, there's nowhere else I'd rather be. And, that, and that's kind of living on purpose, I feel. So I, I don't think goals have to be necessarily life-changing. Um, uh, they don't necessarily have to be world-changing. They just have to be meaningful and relevant to you. Uh, the beauty of the list, again, is that it can be really diverse. You can have the silly stuff. You can have the mundane stuff. As long as it's meaningful, you can have simple, complex, short-term, long-term, joyful, emotional, challenging you know, you have all those things. So, I mean, and on each occasion when I'm achieving my list or certainly like, you know, when I achieve them, um, I just feel this sense of complete um, freedom to use that word that you used earlier. So I feel empowered. I, I, I feel like buzzing on a lot of occasions. I, you know, I just feel like I'm just living on purpose and, and you know, just I, to, to be able to, I, I, and I honestly think, like I wouldn't change a thing in my life. I wouldn't change a thing. Um, uh and I like to be able to say that and mean it. Um, and it's because I kind of have a lot of goals which are meaningful to me. So, I, yeah, I don't know. In terms of, like, to your question, what are the main three favourite things? They're all unreal. I feel great on every single occasion. And uh, I want to reiterate, you don't have to be crazy. You don't have to jump out of a plane to feel that way. You just have to do something meaningful. And it can be. We just had a lady do our course and one of her in fact her number one goal was to create better boundaries in her life so that toxic people uh were um asked to leave i, I suppose and not allowed back in and that was you know that that was a tear-jerking call that we had because that was so meaningful to her so lists can be anything read more say i'm sorry say i love you or of course they can be ridiculous pose nude at night class or what have you you know what i love seb is listening to you talk about that there and you speak about the few things that you're tackling at the moment. I love that even in the evolution of a hundred things and how this has turned into a business where you're helping other people and you're speaking and, you know, you're doing these media engagements and podcast engagements. You've not lost sight of the fact that, you know, actually going out and doing these things is so important to you. And I think yeah. a lot of people would, right? Like, it becomes that thing where it's like, well, life's a bit crazy now. And this is about like building the business side of it and building the following and the social presence. But you've really stayed true to the purpose of, of what you discovered so many years before. And I think, you know, you need to be commended. Uh, oh, I appreciate because, it. No, I think that's really important. It's a really special thing to hear. I'm, I'm really interested to hear about your maneuver into sort of keynote speaking and sharing your story. What's that been like? Um, well, it was kind of, I, I never thought I'd speak about this, you know, um, I just, what happened? I think I got asked to, I was like a year and a half into the, into a hundred things. And someone said, you should speak at a travel conference in England and connected me. And the lady who was organizing the conference said, yeah, come and speak. So I flew to England. I was, I was in Canada at the time. And I just gave a talk, you know, I just put a PowerPoint on, on the stage of like all the things I'd done. And it was, you know, I, it, I knew really quickly that I, this story was resonating with people. And I, and I, it seemed to be because, you know, I, I, just, I represented, you know, a lot of people. I wasn't the only person who was unhappy and wanted to make a change. And so um, 
you know, even people who were sort of high flyers started resonating with it. Like I just had a lot of support immediately. And uh, so, yeah, I was on stage and I like, spoke about some of the things I had done and why I had done it. But my call to action on my first keynote ever was what's on your list? I, I used to love asking that question, it's sort of become a tagline, I guess now. So I did that. I really enjoyed it. Went back to Australia um, soon after, wrote, wrote this book. I got asked to write a book. Um, and, and then companies just started calling me, getting in touch, saying, would you speak to our crew? And I remember Googling like professional speaking, like is professional speaking a thing? And it was. And I remember speaking to, I, I, so I, I, uh, there was a speaking bureau and I remember calling up a speaking bureau in Australia and uh, I, don't, I won't name them, uh, but I joke with the person I call because we've become friends professionally now. But back then I called them and I was like, hey, um, I was like, hi, I just Googled professional speaking. I don't know anything about it, but I did a talk in England recently and I, I really enjoyed it and I got some good feedback. Is how, like, how do I get into this? And this guy was like, if there's anyone listening who's a professional speaker, they'll know this guy. And he was like, yeah, so uh, he goes, mate, you need to be able to engage an audience from the moment you get on stage to the moment you get off. You need to have a call to action. You need to have a great present stage presence, the way you put yourself on stage. The story needs to be intricate, needs to be layered. You need to be able to do this. You need to follow. And it was a million things. He goes, he goes, do you know how many speakers out of 100 who call me up get to be speakers? And I was like, how many? He said, minus three. Anyway, so I, I remember putting down the phone going, what happened there? And uh, so I thought, well, that's not for me. Uh, but yeah, c companies sort of kept on getting in touch. And so I was very fortunate. This company called PIS, I, I think they've changed names. This, this, uh, anyway, I was approached by PIS. They were like an investment firm, professional investment services, I think the name was. Uh, Robbie, the founder of that company, said, hey, do you want to do a talk for us? I did a talk for them. And then he said, hey, do you want to speak to all our places all over the country? So I must have done like 20 or 30 talks for this company, getting paid 500 bucks a talk. And I was stoked. I couldn't believe I was making $500 a talk. And of course, like, you know, they say with professional speaking, it's good to just get runs on the board. Like just speak, 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 speak. You'll get better, 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 better. And I loved it. And I was getting better. And I found that I kind of honed my message a little bit. And over the 10 years I've been speaking now, um, you know, I've realized a lot more things about 100 things. And I, and I do every day. You know, I knew very quickly it wasn't just about me. I think I spoke for, you know, I represented, as I said, like what, what a lot of people think. So they saw a lot of themselves in me. So, and, and it, you know, it turns out it's a very simple concept, right? Being happy and feeling good. We all want that personal lives, professional lives, et cetera. And uh, so I was very fortunate. I didn't have a plan with professional speaking. It just sort of, just sort of snowballed. And, you know, me moving to America um, four years ago, that was interesting too. You know, I, I could have just sort of stayed in Australia and really doubled down on speaking and, you know, getting paid more and, you know, earning more money and whatever, but, I kind of like thought about it and I thought, well, I think there's more impact to be made. And so I, you know, I'm working on a few things out here with a hundred things um, as well as now speaking professionally out here in the U S which is a, a different nut to crack, but it's been going really well. Um, so I sort of left Australia and haven't really done much. I actually got booked yesterday for a virtual keynote in Australia. I haven't done one in ages. Um, where am I going with this sentence? I kind of forgotten the question, but yeah, that's been the professional speaking thing for me. It's been great. It's developed beautifully over 10 years and really proud to say that, you know, I think I've become sort of popular on the speaking circuit here as well. And, um, you know, it's just getting bigger and bigger and I, I love it. It's making impact. I mean, I, I speak and people cry. I don't, you know, for a long time, I thought, why is that? You know, what, why is that? But I'd get emails and it would change people's lives. It saved people's lives. I've been, people in, in my talks have, uh, 
emailed me and I've met up with as many as I can. And you know, some people have like been on the, you know, been severely depressed and mm. have been on the cusp if not having started sort of self-harm. And they suddenly, you know, I do what I can to sort of support their journey into creating a list and achieving some of the goals and their lives have all turned around. I, I couldn't stop doing what I do. I mean, keynote, it's lovely to, to say I do keynotes, but I mean, I, it's just a vessel to like further spread a good message and I'm very grateful for it storytelling is powerful it's you know it's a special thing to be able to share you know and I think looking back like that's one thing that I I love about the hardship of my life and the and the challenges that I've been thrown is it gives you a story to tell and you know you've you've worked really hard to find this story within your own life that is having incredible impact for people it's why we're sitting here now because you know I was touched by it so it's, it's really really exciting to hear brother and it's great to see you have a smile on your face when you talk about it I want to talk quickly about the journey in America um, and the sort of years ahead. Like what are the plans and, and where do you see 100 things going? Yeah, well, so for a long time, I mean, the, you know, the truth about things was it was just this beautiful accident in the, in the sense that it resonated with people when it turned into books and TV shows and document. I had no idea. How I, it just did. Um, and I think the truth, if, if I was to sort of really be honest is that that just sort of became my narrative. I was like, Oh, you know, I'm the guy with a hundred things. Everything's just lovely. And it's all fallen into place. But that's kind of the, the, the downside, not the downside of that, but like, if I was just to kind of keep up that story, I think I miss out on actually owning it and going, right, what are we going to do with this thing? And so that's been the last sort of 18 months to two years. So I've taken on um, a business partner, Todd, uh, Toddy, he's English. He lives in England at the moment. And, um, He's a good mate and he shares all the values of 100 things, smart guy. I think I've lacked kind of business now. Uh, Toddy has a lot more of that than I do. It's great. And he's more of a strategist and a bit of a, a road planner. So together, we've really sat down and had some awesome conversations and gone through a lot of uh, activities or processes to identify what we want to do with 100 things. So we've identified that, of course, the general public is a big market for us, as is business organizations, as our schools. So we're currently putting that into some kind of priority of which ones we're going to develop, what products within each thing can we do, um, you know, budgeting and all this sort of stuff comes into it. And, you know, there's a chance of taking on some money quite soon so that we can execute on some of these plans. Um, again, I'm just sort of opening up entirely to you here. So the, it's great. I mean, the thing that's beautiful about it is the product's great. We know that there's no sort of bullshit here. No one's trying to convince anyone of anything. It just is what it is, which has been a really positive thing. Over the 12 years to now, I've received nothing but positivity and questions from people saying, how do I take the next step? And I've tried to, you know, I've tried to do what I can very manually with individuals and with businesses after a keynote, they'll say, what now? We want to do something with our staff. And I'll say, oh, I don't, haven't really thought of that. Um, and schools, how do we incorporate some kind of learning program for, uh, for our students? And I didn't never know, but so it's, I've been told basically just from listening and observation, oh, well, I know what needs to be done. So we're developing a program for school. We have this wonderful, like mental kind of mental wellness and staff engagement product that we're about to launch in the, in the U S currently doing some tests with some organizations and the general public. We've got this eight step course, which I've mentioned, um, which, uh, which is already, we've done six months of beta testing and it's just unreal it's changed lives so i think um the the immediate plan is within the next 12 months to to ramp up those three areas 
And I think, you know, over the next five years, just develop it, develop them, refine them, understand what they do, where we can change it, where we can better it. I don't know where we actually end up in five years, but I'd love to think that 100 Things was impacting millions of people. Because it's funny, you know, like I did a documentary with ESPN. It's been seen 20 million times. Some of my talks have gone online. They've been seen millions of times, but I'm not impacting millions of people outside of that. And I should be. So, you know, it's about taking it, just looking at 100 Things in a different in a different way, not forgoing any of the values or any of the stuff, the, the beautiful stuff that's been built upon, but just creating more of a vessel where people can actually go, right, I'm going to 100 things and this is what I'm going to do uh, and it's going to better me. And that's, so we're just trying to get to a point where it's actually useful in practical ways. It has great utility for many people and organisations. Well, let me just say you found a fan in me. I'm a big fan of what you were doing, um, who you are and what you stand for and the message of 100 things and I honestly believe that for the people who come across this and engage in your story, but also the courses and the things that you're building to, to help people find that happiness in their life, that I guess you will be like in your journey will almost be like a treasure map to freedom. Um, that F word that we've spoken about so many times throughout the course of this episode. So I want to say thank you so much. And before I finish this up, I want to ask for maybe some words of wisdom. Like if you had to sum this up in just a few words or, or give give somebody a message that they leave this podcast with, you know, cemented at the front of their mind, what would it be? Well, uh, I would say that kind of like reflecting briefly on what we had said earlier, I, I, I personally couldn't see I, I, that situation of lying in your, your bed, your deathbed, reflecting back on your life and thinking, I wish I'd done that differently for myself and others in every aspect of life or some aspects of life. And no, no, no one wants that. How do you change that? You, you change it right now by making decisions right now. All we have is right now. And we're all empowered to do it through choice. No matter what you act, no matter what you think, that's the truth. The truth is we all have access to change. It's an internal thing. So what's the first step to do it? I, I would say just for a moment, even after this podcast, just, um, just ask yourself that question. What's on your list? What's on your list? What's important to you? Because I think with true consideration, the answer to that question has the potential to completely change your life, um, you know, and be additive to a, a life well lived with no regrets. And I think by doing that, you become so much better and more effective and productive for others. And of course, what we've spoken about is the idea that we look after ourselves so that we can help other people. And, and obviously, if anyone wants a hand with any of that journey or process, let me know and, you know, we can correspond. But ask yourself the question, what's on your list? That would be my first suggestion. I love it. Ask yourself the question, what is on your list? And then grant yourself the permission to go and seek and discover and go on that journey. Sebastian Terry, you're an absolute gem of a human, mate. I'm really, really grateful for your time. And I'm so glad we got to share your story. I'm going to make sure that within the show's description, all of your social tags and and your website and basically every point of contact for people to engage and to get in contact with you will be there. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Mate, of course. Thank you so so much for having me, mate. And uh, thank you. My absolute pleasure.